Welcome to Out of the Ordinary, the show that helps you grow a daily life that matters. I'm Christy Purifoy. And I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And honestly, I, I really don't know what to say about this episode. Christy, maybe <laughs> I'll have the words by the time I am that big 5 Yeah, here's another conversation we didn't plan, didn't really prepare. But Lisa Jo, I think this is one of our best yet. But yeah, I better start planning that birthday party we talked about in the barn. But okay, listeners, get comfy. Here we go. I think I have told you this already, but I would like for you very much to hold the date, August 26th, 2024, for the Black Barn, because I will be hosting my 50th birthday party at your house. And my plan is to invite everybody I know and hope my parents and family from South Africa come too. Um, That would be really great. Anybody who's related to Christy, just know that is what will be happening in the barn <laughs> in 2024. <laughs> I am booking the calendar now. But the conversation today is about how I, and maybe some of you listening who are approaching a mile marker in your life, I really feel like I'm going to need all of the next three years to mentally prepare to turn 50. And this is coming from someone who has never been bothered by their age 50, Christy, I just feel it out there waiting for me. Yeah, I feel it too. It's a big number. Is it terrible for me to admit, Lisa Joe, that I'm secretly glad and grateful that I'm going to get to help walk you through it first? (laughs) 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 And my husband, and then I will very shortly follow. It's true. But like, I feel like I'm going to, I don't know if, if you're if your best friend is turning 50, even if you're not, you're still like yep. coming to grips with your own <laughs> I will middle be. agedness. So we'll do it together, Lisa Joe. I guess that's what I'm I'll saying. We'll do Sherpa. it together. Yes, I know. I think it helps me to think of it attached to something beautiful and meaningful that I already know will be wonderful, like some special event we do together. Um, but it's it's the reason I bring this up, listeners, it's not that It's not about 50 so much, but it really has embarked me on these conversations, both externally and internally, about my purpose here on earth. Because sometimes, no, all the time, it can feel like I'm running out of time. It can feel like, oh my word, I'm going to be 50 in three years. What have I done with my life? Especially when we live in a culture that worships, and I use that word on purpose, productivity. So it can start to get conflated with faith because then you have the pressure of, oh my word, I'm going to be 50. That means I'm much closer to meeting Jesus in person. What am I going to show up with? Like, what am I going to tell him I did? And that is like, I'm struggling with that thought. Yeah. And you know what? I'm just realizing this, this isn't only for those of us who are facing a milestone older birthday, (laughs) because I realize I am having these same conversations with my firstborn, my daughter, who is headed to college next year. Well, why would that be? She's so young, right? She's only 18. She's like, I mean, her life has just started, but I realize at this age, there's a lot of pressure on young people to like figure out their life so they can go ahead and be productive, like you said, right. so that they can go ahead and like sort of join the rat race and make every moment count. And so there's not a lot of grace for not knowing 
where what you want to study in college and not knowing what you want to be when you grow up and not knowing, not having all the answers to things and not having things figured out, there's a lot of pressure because for her, what she, what I, what I sense her feeling is like, I don't want to waste time. I want, if I make a decision to go to this college or to study this program, I want to make sure I'm on the right path because I don't want to like waste time on the wrong path. Right. right? right. So this is, this is real stuff, whether we're turning 50, 70 or, or 19. And actually, Lisa Joe, I had a conversation this weekend. So I was, uh, I'm attending this conference in Lancaster. It was a great experience. Um, and I haven't had an experience like that lately where I'm like in a crowd of diverse, lots of people, different ages. And so right. it was great to have conversations with all kinds of people. And I found myself, I don't even know how this happened, but I found myself at one of the meals seated next to um, a much younger woman who was volunteering at the conference. And I, I didn't ask her age, but I think she said that she was a few years out of college and we we fell into conversation. She shared a little bit and I found myself like on a soapbox to her. <laughs> I, I hope it was helpful, but, but telling her, like, I think she had just shared some sense of kind of wandering. Like I, I went to school for this, but now I don't know. And I'm not sure what to do. And I just started sharing with her. Oh my goodness. Yes, yes, yes. This is what makes your twenties and your thirties often so difficult is that you, you're figuring out what you're good at. You're figuring out what you really love and, and it, you're bouncing around and you're working maybe often or living in situations that often are not good fits for you, but that's how you learn kind of what is a good fit and, and how you're really made. And so I was just commiserating basically and telling her, Hey, if, if you're having a hard time, um, that, that's okay. That, that, that is a, that is just what it's like to right. be, you know, your age. And so I was sharing like, oh my goodness, this is how it was for me in my 20s and my 30s. And I told her, I said, it's it's in many ways so much better to be in my 40s because now I, I know much more clearly the things that are not for me and the things that are for me. Um, I'm in a place where I, I have a clear sense of, of purpose and, and I'm, you know, more or less living into that. Um, but you're right, it's not, even now, as if these this this pressure goes away, there still is this sense, right. maybe even more for you yes, and I, because there are wanting paths, to make the most of the time. Yes, there's some paths we actually have chosen yeah. not to go down, and guess yeah. what? It's now too late. Like, right? <laughs> like there is that sense because. Peter has taught college students for years. So for years, I've been on that same soapbox. You can't make a mistake. You're 19. <laughs> like The world is your oyster. God will use whatever path you walk down. The Lord is going to be with you. And if you are walking in his word and in his kingdom, as we believe we are, he will use you. You will be used of God. You know, you can't make a mistake. But here I am, like three years from 50, I'm like, what if I've made a mistake? And I keep looking <laughs> back over my shoulder at these choices. Some of them are very big. I chose to live in America, not South Africa. That I have felt the weight of that choice more with each passing year. And I do. I ask the question like, oh, my goodness, should I have been in South Africa? Like, is there a way to morph my family and live in South Africa? Other choices are smaller, right? Like right now, my son, one of my sons is 14 and a half. He's playing, you know, really competitive middle school sports and they're about to go into high school. He has a lot of friends, a lot of them whose parents are having them look at all of these different high schools based on their sports programs, interviewing with all these coaches. And we've just told our kids, no, you're going to this school that we've chosen for you. There isn't an option. But then I feel like 
I say to Peter all the time, are we making a mistake? Should we also be like doing this whole big sports journey? And Peter just says, no, I value faith-based education more. Coaches can find them wherever they play. But I constantly doubt myself, is that a mistake? So like whether the decisions are giant or small, I am experiencing this, this ongoing nagging worry that I am running out of time. I mean, I might be turning 50 first, but you have a kid graduating and moving <laughs> to college first. Okay. Like these are some right, big things right. happening. That's right. That's right. Life is changing fast around here. You know, Lisa Joe. so here, this is why I think again and again, we keep having these conversations. What I think is so great about our podcast, I'm just going to say it, is that you and I are dear friends devoted to each other with, you know, a lot of interests and values in common, and yet we're differently wired. So I feel the things you're saying too about purpose and not wasting time. But I admit they're not, they're not usually the most pressing. I, I'm, I'm a pretty low energy person who mostly worries about not having enough time to relax and read a good book. (laughs) I love that (laughs) about you so much. That's that's actually my worry is like, how much is going to be asked of me and how much (laughs) like, like, so someone asked me recently, like, hey, as an author, do you always sort of have the next book lined up? And you're always on this sort of treadmill of writing books. And I told her, honestly, I was like, no, I only get through it because I tell myself this is the last book. And after this, I just get to take a long nap for the rest of right, my life. Right. Like That is the I'm, only reason I keep going. <laughs> I actually remember you telling me once, it made me feel so much better about myself that you were, uh-huh. you were saying while you're preparing a meal, because you always make, I feel like, beautiful meals for your family. And you <laughs> confessed to me that a lot of the time while making that meal, you're thinking, how soon after this can I now go and read? Like, how much time have I put in with the family (laughs) that I have scored time away? Which I feel exactly the same about. For me, sometimes it's reading, a lot of the times it's a movie or a TV series. Like, have I spent enough FaceTime with my people (laughs) that I can now go down the hallway to the bedroom alone? So we definitely have this this in common. We do. I think we share a bit of that quality. I will say, though, so when it comes to growing older and thinking about my life, and time, even if purpose isn't, I'm not so much wired for, let's use the word ambition. Mm, I'm not a hugely yes. ambitious person. Right. I'm not a goal setter. I, If I'm doing things, it's because I kind of fall into them and I have a longing for beauty and that leads me in certain directions, but I'm not a typically ambitious person. Right. But what I, what I feel like I want to add to this conversation is I, I want my, if I have an ambition, it's, it's a, it's that I want a, a good life. I want a comfortable life. I want a life with beauty in it and happiness and peace. And so with each day ticking by, there's always the question and the burden of like, I don't know what happens next in this story. And what if I don't like it? What if it's suffering? What if it's pain? What if it's hard? Like, I just want things to be easy. I just want things to be pretty, right? Which is hard (laughs) as Christians since Christ has promised us that we will have suffering. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And so, I also don't want to, I don't want to anticipate each new year and each new birthday, like braced for impact, like, Mm. oh no, it's okay right now, but what happens next? And am I going to like it? Like, I don't want to live that way either. So, so how then to have peace in the midst of this like constant change and growing older, I think might be rooted in 
asking like, well, what is the purpose then? What are the, what is the real purpose of these days? If it's not being productive and it's not being comfortable all the time, right? what is it? Right. And I, you know, if you've been listening the last month or so around here, I hope you've listened to or go back and listen to the episode called When You Feel Like You're Drowning, because we we really did a deep dive into this idea of how do you find equilibrium when you're being buffeted. I think today's question we're asking, though, is how do we not live in constant fear or anticipation of the next buffeting that might happen Mm -hmm. and how do we then find a sense of like what i'm what am i supposed to be doing like what what is it that gives meaning to these three years these 50 years the sports decisions like what is it and it's so interesting because this is a conversation i've been having now since september there are four people in my life who are very dear to me who were all diagnosed with cancer Uh, starting in September of this year. Actually, all four of them within a span of four weeks. It has been crushing (laughs) on a soul level. And because of it, we have started to have conversations that you do have that aren't just about aging, they're about dying. Like, what does that mean? How do I even approach that as a believer? And what's been especially interesting is as Christians, we have this whole other layer on top of productivity is productivity for Jesus. You know, and I, one of my brothers said such a great thing to me recently. He said, my worry is like, what if I've just been a crap Christian? What if like all the suffering I'm going through, God's like, oh, you just did not do that right. You did not have more meaningful devotions. You did not spend 45 minutes. You still only spent 10. You still lost your temper. You didn't become more of a leader in your church. Like, And he had all of these categories he was using to measure that are very productivity-based, right? Like, here I am, Jesus, with my shiny medals. Look what I did for you, you know? And yeah. there is this internal narrative that says to us, you measure your Christianity by how many Christian books you've read, by how long your devotion is, by if you sit down and pray as a family together. Like, there are these weird, completely arbitrary ways in which we measure. And so in talking to my brother Josh about this, I brought it to my husband And he is like you. He is an academic. He is, I think of him as a professional thinker. That's how I think of you too. People who are good at thinking and then, and then putting those thoughts into very accessible words for the rest of us. I love to bring to Peter things I don't understand. And then I wait for him to put them into words I can understand. (laughs) Simple concepts. Um, I said to Pete, so I'm struggling with this this thing that I've struggled with thinking about facing 50, but now people I love are struggling with thinking about facing the potential of death, which, hello, we're all facing it, okay? All of us have to figure this out. And I said, my brother says he's worried about that because he's going to show up to Jesus and be like, I didn't read my Bible more. And I said to him, I said, Pete, I know this, this is a false measurement, But I don't know why. I don't know how to put it into words that explain why that's a false measurement. And then my husband gave me the most beautiful picture that has helped me so dramatically and I hope might help somebody listening. He said this. He said, that's because in a Western Christian mindset, we think our job as Christians, first of all, we think of it as a job, right? Our job is to produce something for Christ rather than to receive something 
from Christ. So here on earth, we are in fact inhabiting the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says it all the time. The kingdom of heaven is now, is what he would say constantly. Not like you're going to get to it in the future, but it is now. And if that is the case, then what we are to receive from him now, through no strength of our own, is redemption. And at its most basic understanding is redemption is changing from one thing to another, acknowledging something that's broken and receiving health, wholeness, and healing from Jesus. And Peter said, imagine yourself, you, Joshua, whoever it is that you're talking about. A lot of us are like like lepers from Jesus's time. We have these wounds that we carry. Some of them are self-inflicted from our sins and our choices. Some of them become from generational pain that has come through our families. Some of them are inflicted by our parents or our coworkers, the church. Like we are carrying painful things. Jesus comes to us and he is offering to heal those parts of us. That that's that is why he is inviting us into the kingdom of heaven for healing for redemption we our our part is to receive it to be willing to be healed and as someone who went home in this past fall with my brothers who were on this literal physical journey through chemotherapy of healing it suddenly became very visceral for me, this concept of receiving healing, like wanting to heal. It is a difficult thing because it is painful and uncomfortable. And Chrissy, I remember you saying to me years ago, the, the interesting thing about Christ is he wants to have a relationship with us and he wants to take that relationship as deep as possible with us. But he does not force himself on us. He waits to see, will we accept his invitation to go deeper? And every time we go deeper, he is going into the places of ourselves that are are more wounded, that are infected, that are deep down he has to cut into to heal or have the spiritual equivalent of chemotherapy. But we, we have to be willing, which, and this is my children always use this thing their teachers taught them where they go, connection, you know, and they make a connection in a story. And so as Peter was telling me that, as I've lived it out with friends and family going through chemo, I had this big like flare of a connection in my mind where I thought about the story of Jesus and the man at the pool of Siloam who's been waiting all of these years to get into the water to be healed. And Jesus arrives and the guy asks for help. And then Jesus asks him what I've always thought of as a completely insane question. He asks him, do you want to be well? To which I've always thought, duh, like the guy is sitting by the pool, Jesus, like help him. Obviously, <laughs> he wants to be well. But man, it was a lightning moment for me this year as I realized that is his question to us. That is our responsibility, not our productivity, not all the great Christianese things we say, do, or Instagram. No, it is simply telling Jesus, yes, I want to be well. And then allowing him to do everything. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. It is right. he who acts and we who receive. And I tell you what, Christy, it suddenly colored the next three years toward 50 and the rest of my life so differently. Like these are all opportunities waiting for me for deeper healing in my family, in my marriage, in my parenting, in the work that I do. It isn't about 
how productive or not I am, like how many medals or goals I've accumulated before I, you know, finish the game. Instead, it's like how much of all the wounds I have accumulated in my life can I bring to Jesus and ask him to heal me so that when I arrive in heaven, really my badges of honor are the scars, like the things that remain <laughs> that show evidence of Jesus working in my life and making me whole because I said, yes, yes, I want to be well. Mm. What a beautiful image of scars, because of course we know from scripture that Jesus still bears his scars as well in his flesh and that and that we could share that honor too is really, really cool. Um, wow. Okay. So there's a, like so there's much I want to say. I was like so soapboxy right there. I was like, no, I, I love it. There's so much I want to say in response because I mean, yeah, how crazy that he would ask, do you want to be well? But what I read into that is so much gentleness and love because he knows that being made well is sometimes really painful. Yeah. So you brought up chemotherapy. We could also talk about surgery. Right. Like these are the things that make our bodies well and they really hurt. Like people have to recover from surgery and it takes and have rehabilitation and right. it's so painful. Right. You know, in a lot of ways, I shared this in another episode, like I have been in recovery, you know, I got COVID a year ago. I, in a, some ways, I'm still like recovering from that as I still struggle to get, you know, my asthma under control. Like healing isn't a comfortable experience. And sometimes it is like it involves outright suffering. And so when I when I think of Jesus saying, do you want to be well? I think of the fact that he is not like forcing He's he's not forcing these what what might be a difficult process on us. Instead, he in love is inviting us to to receive it and to say yes and to participate in what he knows is for our good and knows um, you know is a good, but 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 will it could <laughs> quite often involve some some real pain and I but I love this the medical uh, let's call it the medical metaphor. <laughs> I love the medical metaphor for this because I feel like it wasn't one, I, I don't remember really, I'm sure I did, but I don't remember encountering it growing up in the faith. I probably did, but what stuck in my head were the the educational metaphors, the sense of like, I've been saved, now I need to become more like Christ. So like Christ, God is a big teacher in the sky teaching me lessons, and sometimes that looks like suffering, and what, what am I going to learn from this hard thing, and and or a sense of like, I'm falling short, but I still have so much to learn, and I'm not good enough, and always this sense, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough. And and that is a that can be a very, that is not a very life-giving message, let me just say. It is not full of grace and, and love. And so, while I understood the love of God as a concept— I think in large part because of that metaphor through which I was viewing the spiritual Christian life, I was not accessing, I wasn't feeling it. And and all of that really did boil over into a crisis in my 20s where I found myself in church singing a song about God's love, but I was in a really hard place and I realized like, oh, I guess I believe this in theory, but mm, I don't know if I believe this like really, right, that God loves me. But the healing metaphor, that to me looks like love. That sounds like love. That feels like love. Because um, it's 
it, there's a kindness, there's a gentleness to that invitation. Do you want to be healed? And Jesus, you know, on earth was was always so gentle with people who were sick and hurting and, and could admit to that, who could say, look at me, I'm, I'm sick and I'm hurting and I need help. He was so gentle with them. Um, and then what he offered was so good. And I guess this is the other thing, like what is, you know, we started this conversation asking like, what is the point? What are these days for? What is this life for um, in the light of eternity? And I love the idea that Jesus might be saying, look, healing is in your future. <laughs> you are my sheep. You belong to me. But what do you think about getting started right now? Right. What do you think right. about letting me do some surgery, bring healing into your life so that there are more parts of you where my life is able to like bubble up so that more of my life is now in you so that now in your relationships with other people and in your work in the world, more of the life and love of God is like free to like flow and just flood everything. Like, doesn't that sound really good? Like, do you want to put that off? I, I don't. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, yes, Jesus. That's what I want now. I don't want to go on living this life with with so much of me still being dead and sick and you know having like infection. I want I want more of me to be fully alive. So, okay, yeah, I am I am I do want to go on that journey with you. That that to me sounds like okay, I know there will be okay, it's it's going to be uncomfortable at times. It's going to hurt, but you are the great physician. I can trust you. Okay, here we go. I feel okay about stepping out on that path in a way that I never did about the great teacher in the sky wagging his finger at us, you know? Mm -hmm. I think I have definitely over the years experienced a lot of fear at the thought of Jesus coming in. And I think it's because I have wanted to control how other people will will act or what they'll say. And um, I feel like I've had really clenched fists about it. Like, And I think about just in families, as we work things out together, I've always wanted certain outcomes and I'm really afraid I won't get them. And so it makes me feel like I need to avoid those conversations at all costs because it's too stressful. But there is something about saying, Lord, I, I'm going to open my hands and I'm going to remember that you really love these other people as much as you love me. Like you love us deeply and you want wholeness and healing for us. And it really is an act of trust to say to him, I'm, I'm going to trust you as I follow you toward whatever this healing looks like. And I will say in my experience, like that is not a fast process. Like it is slow over years. And sometimes it stops and starts, you know, there it stalls out for a while and then he circles back. I mean, honestly, this last story that I started living, my mom passed away from cancer a week to the day after my 18th birthday. I am 47 now. <laughs> it's like how many years later? And and as Christy said, like God took us back, took me back, not just to the country where I'm from, but to this country of cancer I thought I would never visit again. And I remember Christy saying, like, Jesus, we know, is a trustworthy author who writes good stories. So if he thinks there's a part of the story that is a loose thread, we can trust him to stitch that back in. And it it felt really scary to go home into that story, having no idea, like, what the conversations would be, how everybody is feeling, like everything about that feels deeply volatile. And yet there is the sense of 
of knowing there's a God constantly coming back, just like that man waited all of those years by the pool. There's a God who doesn't forget and comes back and says, do you do you want to be well? And then surprises you and how they then are willing to come and bring healing into places that you you haven't known how to get to by yourself. Like you haven't been able to do it by yourself. And it's, I, I mean, anyone listening, it's not sunshine and roses. It is very hard and sad a lot of the time. And there there is a sense that you look back and realize, wow, like there are these lost years. There were missing seasons. And there's a degree to which you have to say goodbye to certain things in your life and and recognize I don't I don't get that back. But the thing about Christ that's so interesting is you get something new instead. It's not like he's going to give you back the old thing that you lost. He really he like it's like almost I want to say magical, but miraculous is the better word. He gives a new story, a new song, all of those things in scripture. I don't know why I'm 47 and I'm still surprised every time (laughs) it happens. I think I am more surprised now because I've lived more pain that he is able to reach out and touch us. I just remember the leper when Jesus came down after preaching the Sermon on the Mount and he comes down the very first person, the very first interaction that's recorded that he has is with this man who has leprosy. And then, of course, in that culture, they're unclean. There's no touch or contact. There's not really conversation even with those folks. And the man says to Jesus, I know that you can heal me if you are willing. And it's interesting, right? Because now is an opposite version of that same question. Like to the man at the pool of Siloam, Jesus says, you know, if you want me to, I I will, if you want to be well. And here this man who has leprosy says to Jesus, if you are willing, I know you can make me well. And Jesus reaches out and touches him and says, I am willing. It's He doesn't just say the words. Mm-hmm. He touches the man's physical, completely in that culture, uncleanness, and says, I am willing. And I don't know where you are as you're listening what that thing is, whether it's Jesus inviting you and asking you, do you want to be well? Or you asking Jesus and wondering, like, does he even want to come near me? Am I wasted time and space and story? But really on both sides of that coin, there is Jesus willing, want to, waiting on us. Yay. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) sorry i forgot for a moment that i was on a podcast and i'd have to respond i was just listening like yes yes but yeah yeah yeah, so i'm realizing okay so yeah we're headed toward these birthdays all of us not just you and me (laughs) and who do i want to be when i hit the next one and we tend to think in terms of like what will i have accomplished or where will I be in my life? Or how how will my husband or my children be showing me to advantage? And I can point to them and say, look what I have accomplished. And, you know, my children are flourishing or, you know, whatever the thing is for us. Um, and instead, what would it be like to say, you know, on at this birthday next year, I will be more healed than I am today. There will be more life in me than there is today. And I will have grown, but not in the way that I used to think of it. Like, I've learned five more lessons. And so now I am more lovable, but instead grown in the sense that plants that aren't growing are dying 
And I don't want to be a sickly plant. I want to be a healthy, growing, flourishing mm-hmm. <laughs> plant, right? Mm-hmm. So in that sense, I'm always growing because I, I want I want life. I want to be more alive. Maybe that's what I'm saying. When I turn 50, I want to be more alive than I am today at almost 45. And so in that sense, the places in our life we feel like we haven't accomplished or we feel ashamed or disappointed in, they are opportunities. Like they are places to invite Jesus in and say, I want to be well here. Like, I believe you can. Are you willing? And he says, yes. And so I think in that sense, the story I'm learning to tell about my life now is these next three years toward 50 isn't about how much can I accomplish before 50. Instead, it's how much can I invite Jesus to make me whole and healed so that when I get to 50, I can feel like, I mean, sort of like the entire Gospels is the story of people who messed up (laughs) and Jesus drew close. I mean, I think that's what it is. On these milestone moments, it's our mess-ups that show where Jesus came in and healed us. And I think I'm learning to be more and more at peace with inviting Jesus into these broken milestones they are what I'm learning to celebrate now, not my productivity, but my willingness to take him at his word and invite him deeper and deeper into these parts of me so that so that I can be whole here, like the beginning of wholeness here on earth, as one day it will be in heaven. So Lisa Joe, the only problem with planning a big birthday party this far in advance is that when with all that emotional buildup, I'm gonna be a wreck. <laughs> On that day, I'm not going to be able to eat cake or toast you. I'm just going to be crying and blubbering. And yet, I still can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait either. (laughs) 